Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker. Worker of yours. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Joining us now, Bernie Kukar, one of my all-time favorites, longtime referee, head referee in the NFL, Super Bowls, and more. Bernie, good to visit with you. Have you had a chance to go skiing yet, or have you found anywhere where there's snow? No, there's no snow in Minnesota, but no. there might be in Vail, Colorado. I haven't gotten out there yet. So. Are, are you going to make it out there? Oh, probably in about March. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're light on snow right now, too, in the mountains, and there's I can tell. Yeah, well, my daughter lives out there. She was just in town and... For Thanksgiving, she said there's only like two runs over yeah. out there in the mountains. So yeah, they're so, not yeah. getting any either. No, last year they had a boon, but uh, who knows this year? We'll monitor that. Bernie, I, I want to ask you about the, the, a pass interference call because I understand this has got to be one of the toughest things to call in all of football. I watched that Gopher Wisconsin game, and and there were just about every play. It seemed like where you know because both teams were pretty good defensively. Uh, yeah. th- there's a lot of hand checking and a lot of this and that on both sides of it. And technically, I mean, it, 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 if they impede you at all, even if it's a nanosecond before the ball gets there, it's still interference. But it seems like they kind of split the difference and they call some and they don't call some. Uh, w- when you watch this, what do you see? Well, when I when you watch these things, what what the the officials are looking at basically are the heads of both the offense and the defensive guy. If they are not playing the ball, neither one of them, they're probably not going to call anything. The problem comes when one is playing the ball and the other is not, whether it's offense or defense. So the head is really trying to tell you if the the ball player is actually looking for the football. And if they're not, there's nothing going to be called no matter what they do. Is it fair to see that say that most receivers get by with with more than cornerbacks do? Uh, it, it just looks like offensive interference isn't called as much, and they kind of know when to push and how to push. Well, sometimes, but you got to have a, a true separation, and usually it's in its extension of the arm that tells you that. And if there if there's a little bumping going on and there's no real separation, they're not going to call offensive pass interference. So they're going to let that one go, and, and there's kind of a, I, I mean, do, do most receivers know what the rules of the game are? Are they surprised often, or do they all kind of know how this works? Oh, they know. They know in advance. That stuff has probably gone over. I bet you Fleck is doing that a lot with his uh, defensive corners and his wide receivers, but they know how much they can get away with, and that's what it comes down to. But still, the key is, where are the heads? The heads are not looking at the football. They're not going to be calling much. Yeah, I got you. The, um, uh, Mike Zimmer says that, that uh, they, and he's a defensive guy, he says they hold way too much because they can get their arms in tight, and, and you can't see it, but you know they're doing it. 
Um, yeah. I know that's spoken like a true defensive coach, right? And I, I, you probably heard that from the <laughs> yeah. sidelines a lot of times Absolutely. when you're refereeing. But but is are, are there ways that offensive linemen get away with it? And 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 uh, do you ever see that? Like after a game, you start watching the tape, you go, "Holy cow, he's holding the whole game." Yeah, but it depends on what you're looking at. Uh, you know, I'm sure you've heard the term. Uh, well, yeah, you can call holding on every play. Yeah. yeah, you can if you apply the high school rules or the college rules, but not the NFL rules. Because in the NFL, the first thing all these offensive linemen do is go up and grab the front shirt, grasp the shirt, actually, as a defender in front of them. And if the defender is just happy to be there, in other words, we call him dancing, there's no fall there, but that's in college. There is a fall there. In high school, there is a fall. You can't grab the shirt, but in in the pro business, if there is no restriction in terms of point of attack, in other words, if the uh, offensive guy twists, turns, or pulls him at the point of attack, that's going to be called. Now, if it's on the other side, on the, like the, the left tackle, and the play's going off the right tackle, they're not going to fool around with those kind of calls. Whereas in college and in high school, they probably will. So that's the key. And I, when I was with the Vikings for those couple of years, when Leslie Frazier was the head coach, he'd always have me talk to the whole team in the in the uh, Don and Mankato. And I would tell them, look, here's what me as a referee is looking at. And that's where you see most of the holding calls from tackle to tackle. So I said, here are the red flags. And then somebody would say, well, what are they? And I say, okay, number one, if I see an arm bar go out there, if the arm is sticking out there, you, don't, you know darn well he's going to grab that shoulder pretty soon and pull someplace. And the other one is if he's got the arm draped over the shoulder. And if he's got that, he's going to be actually pulling somebody. The third one is if he's getting beat, you know darn well the guy that's getting beat is going to tackle him because he don't want his quarterback to get killed. And number four is if they go outside of the shoulder pads. In other words, double hook him. Now he's got a twist, turn, or pull. That's where you call him. I stole those guys. If you don't do one of those four things, I'm not going to be looking at you because I got six guys I had to look at before the ball is snapped. <laughs> Bernie Kukar is our guest, longtime NFL referee. So, so let's say you have a second-string tackle, and he's playing against a great defensive end. Yeah. Will, will those coaches, from the time you walk out on the field, say to you, hey, man, that tackle can't handle our defensive end. He's going to try holding them all day. Uh, is that gamesmanship? Do you hear that a lot? And are they trying to get you to focus on if it's a, if it's a bad matchup for one team or the other? I don't think so much of matchup, but they will say, you know, we've been watching films about this right tackle for the last couple of games, and it seems to be getting away with a lot of stuff there. So would you mind paying a little bit more attention? Mm-hmm. They'll do things like that, you know, try to alert you that they, what they see on their films, that, hey, this guy's been getting away with a lot of stuff, and he's not getting called for it. Yeah, but they will definitely tell you that when we we come out and do our walk around and free games and I always go up and talk to the head coach about those kind of things and give him a chance to say anything he wants and I usually tell him at that point coach if there's something that happens during the game that you're you don't know just call me over and I'll explain it to you but I'm not going to do it to, I'm not going to stop the game to do it I will do it during a timeout whenever that might be but if you call me over there 
a complaint about a call or a judgment call, I'm going to turn around and walk away because it's there's nothing I want to talk to you about when you do that. So they know that in advance. They tell me that Pete Carroll is one of the all-time greats at working the referees, and he does it in such a quiet way that you you know from the outside you don't even realize. You know, if you're a fan, you don't even pick up on it because he's so subtle in the way that he does it. Now I know you probably had him uh, even before Seattle when he's with the the Jets or the Patriots. Oh, yeah. But yeah. but does that strike you? Is he that is he that kind of guy? And does that help? No, I, he's not any different actually than most other coaches. Okay, he uh, he is actually easy to get along with because he doesn't really complain a lot about what's going on out there. He wants to know things, and like I said earlier, that if they want to know something about this, that, or everything, or maybe a rule interpretation, I'll be happy to talk to him, and I give it give him the same information. But no, I don't think he's much different than any of the other coaches that I've dealt with. Bernie, the targeting call, I, I, I feel for everybody involved now when I see a targeting play because one of the things that you see sometimes is you see a, a player and and he's coming in to tackle and he doesn't mean, it looks like he doesn't mean to lean with his head, but then the offensive player changes his position and all of a sudden he is leading with his head, not by design, but because it happened that quick. Yeah. I, I, what do you see when you see this and how do you how do you teach that? How do you referee that? Yeah, but that's a very difficult call. In our days, uh, they didn't really have that much targeting yeah. because uh, all of a sudden they ended up with all these concussions, as you well know. Yeah. So that's when they started getting a little bit more technical about that. And anytime you see the defense, in our days, you had to see the guy actually drop his arms and push his head out and launch himself to get a call like that. Now if they make any contact with any part of the helmet, it is on the defense, basically, and a lot of times you will see these running backs, they're about as low as they can go, and the defender is trying to go down or to tackle them. Yeah, they're almost going to be a collision about every time, but still, in the college ranks, that is on the defense. Do you think the penalty is correct, though, when they throw these guys out of the game uh, You know, on, on, on one no, targeting play? No, no, I don't think. You can, you can certainly tell if he's – his intentions are yeah. to drive his helmet in there versus is it accidental. So I think that's where they're making a mistake. They should have a two-way deal there. That is, if it wasn't accidental, then it's not a throwout. And if you can definitely tell when they're they're doing it deliberately to try to injure the guy, that's when they should be ejected. Bernie, did you have times when you'd see a player that you knew was quote-unquote woozy that they'd taken a blow to the head? And is, is that the referee's responsibility to regulate that, or is it the teammates and the team to keep an eye on them? Oh, no, that's the referees. We watch that stuff closely. If a guy, when you're down on the field with these guys and you can see these collisions happen, and if all of a sudden he's trying to get up and he can't get up, or he's, once he does get up and he kind of wobbles a little bit, we will take him out of the game. We'll stop it right there, and out he goes. There's no question about that. The officials are watching that stuff pretty close. I watched the uh, prep bowl, and, of course, we see uh, you know the different referees. That's a, that's a cherry for them to get a chance to referee the prep bowl. And, and then I hear you know that there's decreasing numbers for referees, and some of this is COVID-related, et cetera. Um, what do you tell a young official that's thinking about getting into this as a, as a, a hobby, at least to start out with, and, and and why it would be fun to be a referee? Not not necessarily to you know, they don't aspire to be what you were. You were the top of the pyramid, but I mean, uh, they they just are, are interested in being a football referee. What do you tell them? Well, I tell them basically, like you know, I get I'm still pretty close to St. John's up there, and I I go up there periodically and talk to the the players and various functions that go on, and I tell them, hey boys. 
you know, most of you guys aren't going to have the chance to keep very close to football after your playing days are over here at St. John's. But maybe what you should think about what I did, and that is simply when my playing days are over, I thought, wow, okay, maybe maybe I don't have the skills to play in the NFL, but I want to stay relatively close to the game. And you want to keep involved with it. That's one way of doing it. And, and also, don't forget, it's on a Friday night most of the time. And so if you aren't going to be officiating something, you'd probably go to some bar someplace and have too many beers. So yeah. Well, or you go watch a game money, anyway, but... right? Yeah. <laughs> so you might as well get paid for it, meet some good friends, and have some fun. Exactly. I always looked at it as getting paid to exercise, for crying out loud. Now, now, do you, uh, the people that you refereed over the years, the coaches that you refereed, do you consider many of them your friends? Are they more acquaintances, or what happens as time goes on? Well, you wouldn't really call them friends, but yeah, they are acquaintances. At least in those lower levels, you got to know those guys pretty well. And many times back in the day, when I was still working in the high school ranks, a lot of the schools would pay you right out of the gate receipts. And yeah, and sometimes they'd go down. He'd say, "Hey, why don't you guys stop at the Legion? We'll have a little uh, post game activity." Yeah, and yeah, or they give you a check and they say, "But you can go cash this at the Legion, right?" That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, back in the day. Those, those are good times, though, aren't they? They were. They were a lot of fun. And you weren't making much money back in those. In the high school, when I first started, it was like $15 a game. By the time you got out of town, you came up with nothing. <laughs> okay, one last text here for you. This came on my personal. They, they say, how does a referee work with the chain gang? When you work with a different chain gang all the time, how do you make sure that they're doing it right? And if they don't, uh, does a referee call them out or file some kind of report? Oh, yeah. Well, we talked to them before the games. The headlinesmen, each official on the field has an assignment. And the headlinesman, of course, is standing right there with the chains. He talks to those guys. And if he's, if he's seen them before a number of times, he'll just kind of refresh himself and say, okay, here's what we're going to do when this happens and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, they talk to them quite often. And if they're not doing the job, sometimes what happens, some of these guys, like players, they stick around too long. Mm. And they can't really keep up with the player or what's going on. And we've had a couple of instances where you had to tell the athletic director that you better not have these guys back on the chains anymore. They're not able to do the job. It's just not working anymore, huh? And no, it, that's it's right. becoming yeah. an issue. Yeah, exactly. I, I did the chains this last year a couple of times with Jim Kleinsaucer, the big Viking. Yeah. We did a couple of JV games together. And, you know, it's simple, but it's complicated, you know? Because yeah. your tendency is, uh, oh, that's a first down, and you start to move, and, oh, wait, there's a penalty flag. Oh, where do we have that mark before? You know what I'm saying? That's right. Well, I was told the chain gang, don't you dare move those chains until I indicate such. And yes. that's by signaling a first down. And the headlinesman is supposed to do exactly the same thing. But the biggest problem we had back in the day was some of these guys, you know, when the play is heading for them, they don't drop the chains. You got to drop them yes. pretty fast. And if you don't, some of these players are going to get impaled on those babies. Yeah, but that's the rule of thumb, right? Just drop the chain, get out of the way, right? Exactly. Drop the dang chains and get out of there. You can see them coming. And yeah. they got a little, don't forget, they got a clip on there. So they know exactly where that chain should be. If, in fact, they had to pull it back. So it's not a question of losing something in terms of. You know, where did this chain come from? Uh, they, they got that clip right on the line. 
One, I got one more text here. It says when when they spot the ball, it looks like they're just throwing it around and it's haphazard. They just set it down as best they can uh, and eyeball it. Is that about as good as you can get with that, or is it? Uh, is there a formula that you use that, that we don't see? Well, what you don't see is many times, you know, when the play is coming toward, let's say there's a line judge. On the, on the, you know, line judge is looking down the line of scrimmage on one side, the head linesman's on the other side, and there's a play that's coming right at the line judge, and sometimes he's got to jump to get out of the way, too, and he doesn't know exactly where that play ended up. But that guy across the field does because he's got nothing else to do over there since the play has gone away from him. He is the one that's lining him up I as see. to where to put the football. So, so there is more science to it than it looks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the that's key out there. When you're, if the play is going away from you and they're on one of those sides, you better pay attention to where that ball is going to be put down because that's your main responsibility. That guy that's right on the play is probably not going to be able to get a very good spot because he's got to jump out of the way. The players are coming at him, whatever. So the guy across the field is the one that usually lines it up. Bernie, is always good stuff. Maybe we can grab a cup of coffee here before uh, Christmas time. Hey, that's a good plan. I'm with you. Let me know when you're available. I appreciate it, sir. Always. Bernie Kukar, one of the all-time greats NFL lead referee in the Super Bowls. I think he worked three of them. And I don't even know how many. He doesn't even know how many playoff games he was that good. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this. Why? A lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.